Welcome to the scene. This is Screen Time. My name is David Chu, and I am a lover of film and pop culture. I am a theatre student here at UNE, and I am collaborating with Belgrave Cinema and Tune to bring you this show. Screen Time is essentially a program where I review films that are showing in Belgrave and talk and discuss and opinionate. So let me set the scene. Today is the third episode of Screen Time, and the movie we have up on screen today is Killers of the Flower Moon, a crime drama history movie. The director of this film is Martin Scorsese, someone who has been directing and producing for a long time in the industry, and delving into varying genres, though a favourite of theirs, appears to be drama, with many different titles under their belt, such as Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, Frankenstein, and Maestro, to name a few. This is one of four movies that are being already released by Martin this year. Someone has certainly been very busy. Killers of the Flower Moon is a true crime story about the discovery of oil in the land of the Osage, leading to murders over money and control. This is a 3 hour and 40 minute film going over the events in almost every possible detail. In Killers of the Flower Moon, our protagonists, main protagonists, are Ernest Burkhart, Molly Burkhart, and William Hale. Ernest moves to Osage to live with William, his uncle, who is a deputy sheriff, and falls in love with Molly, a Osage woman with a well-off family. The two get married, and we become acquainted with the town and families. A while after murders begin happening, and the world around them all becomes darker as they live on. We have Leonardo DiCaprio as Ernest, Lily Gladstone as Molly, and Robert De Niro as William Hale. The Osage people also had their input placed in this movie, with more than 44 actor roles filled by the Osage. The Osage also helped with filming and translating their language for the film. Many of the Osage were happy about their participation in the film and are happy about where it has gone. Alrighty, first let me talk about the set then. The set is on real Osage land. There is a sense of authenticity which bolsters the film. Full buildings were built by set designers from shops to houses for this film, and there is a mix of authentic and inauthentic to the Killers of the Flower Moon. The sets we are focusing on today are the buildings. The buildings more than likely were built and fitted to increase the atmosphere of the 1920s. So instead of using fake incomplete buildings and rooms, or using houses that were already there, they built full houses and shops as the set. There is a bar, there is hairdressers, a barbers, there is a tax office, and much more. It is unknown specifically which is real and which is not, unless you know a lot about the period and the buildings from then, which shows they did a good job. Everything from each set felt authentic and created a stronger image of the period. The homes of the Osage were reportedly more modest than the film made them out to be, to the film's credit, I did not think twice. There will always be some changes and slight edits in films. It simply makes the film more interesting 
and it helps build the world to keep the watchers entertained. Moving on, each scene appears to be quite melancholy and meticulously designed. There is detail in everything, from the position of actors to the placement of furniture and the use of camera angles, from hiding faces in murder scenes to introductions of characters and even deaths. The overall feeling of all these scenes gives is unsettling and depressing, maybe too well given. A specific scene is the death of Molly's sister Anna, who gets murdered and Molly and Ernest walk to the body to confirm that it is hers. The sun is out, but there is light cover. There are two lines of people leading to the body, down some stairs, and we swap between Molly's perspective and the people watching her go down to her sister. All the while, Ernest holds Molly, and when she finally gets down to the confirm the body, it is a, in a wooden box, and she faints, or is about to, as she sees it. Then for some reason, my dumb brain doesn't remember, the face was cut off. The camera was on Molly the whole time, during that, and the sound played felt a little too realistic. It is possible they did cut something's face off. This scene is one of the peak unnerving and depressing scenes in this film, yet I could not look away and was absorbed. The lines of people leading to the body were especially unnerving because a few of the people were possible murderers, and everyone lining up to see a corpse is just slightly unnatural. Many scenes in this film possess this energy, and so if you're into true crime or just unnerving moments, you just might be giddy throughout this film. Interspersed are scenes of murder, and very few joyful and wholesome moments that also have minor underlying feelings of ease. Now onto the music. Robbie Robertson was the main creator of the music score in this film, and to quote him, it can't be movie music. I think I understand, at least I try to. When I think of movie music, I think of pop songs or orchestral madness. This film had neither that I remember. The music score was a hybrid of modern beats and Osage-influenced music. It was genuinely really good, and a bop I would listen to while out on a walk or playing video games or just any time that I would want to listen to music. It suited the movie really well, but at the same time, it didn't. Depending on how you look at it, if the genre was different, or if it was a different story the film was trying to tell, the music might be better suited for that or elsewhere. It is still really good in Kills of the Flower Moon, but I think if it was a western, or some kind of action-adventure film, it would be better suited. Maybe even some slice-of-life TV show or something like that. Now next up is tropes. I don't have much to say on tropes. From memory, very few to almost none were used. This does make sense because this is a true crime retelling and with some extra pizzazz. The one and only one that I can think of coming to my mind is the bait and switch. It is when certain things are expected or immediately said, but is replaced with the opposite. Do certain characters care about this and that? Sometimes they appear to care, sometimes they don't. 
Sometimes they say something negative to lead into something positive and vice versa. There are very few tropes and the ones used were well done enough to not be annoying and worked for the movie. Now to acting. If I didn't know any better, I'd say every one of these people were the real deal and not actors playing the real people. I was enamored by the characters, for each one was interesting and fourth dimensional. The humanity was quite visible for each of these characters, the swapping between anger to concern, from laughter to awkwardness to the silences. There are a lot of silences. Every character seemed to have a quirk or two that cemented them, but wasn't their entire character. Ernest, for example, loved Molly, and even though he was angry and basically harassing her in certain scenes, it was clearly out of love and his guilt. Molly showed plenty of emotion. Even when we first met her, she is caring, even if she doesn't show it or make a show of it. She loved Ernest to the end, despite some issues. Some characters did not shine as much thanks to their screen time, but when they were there, they shined. Of course, a lot of the actors in this film were experienced, so it is hard not to be impressed. For me, the only characters that didn't feel right were the Osage Elders. They appeared to lack emotion at times, but that was all. There was one thing that bothered me a bit in this film. Another thing, that is, and it was the accents. The country or cowboy accents at times were a little hard to understand, and I missed dialogue from it. I understand why the accents were necessary and added to the film, but it just simply was a little too hard for me to understand at times. Hopefully other people will have better luck when they watch the movie, for I know I struggled. Next up are messages in the film. The film is more or less straightforward. As for the messages, you may have to squint. From what I gather from squinting, be careful of who you trust, and love wins in the end. Be careful of who you trust is straightforward. Not everyone can be trusted, and a certain amount of caution is needed to go about your life. There are many people who will actively attempt to gain a one-up on you. Just have to make sure you don't let them. Of course, it is still important that you trust, as well, otherwise some things will never come. Love comes through trust. Love may not always win, and the win may not have the same impact as the loss, but it is still important to remember the love and loss you have experienced, to grow as a person, and be able to recognize the love you have. Love no matter the strength, no matter the reason, is important. Now something unimportant. Reviews. For the critics, we see a mix of 3 out of 5 and 6 to 8 out of 10s. We have people calling this movie exquisite, magnificent, elevated, to be love, guilt, and what it means to be righteous. Gladstone steals the scenes. Monumental work. A bit like a podcast that does not provide meaningful reflection. I actually kind of agree with that one. And to non-critics, there is also a similar mix. 3 to 5 out of 5, and 7 to 8 out of 10. We have people calling this movie beautifully shot. Magnificent. Acting was fabulous. Very long, but has a good message. Before I talk about what I think of this movie, I want to talk about a scene in this movie 
that I quite enjoyed. Spoiler. William Hale is the orchestrator of the murders. This scene is when Ernest confronts William and says he will testify. There is a long walk up to William's cell. We are seeing Ernest walk from behind bars, and once we get there, we have a light and dark situation, with William having only a shred of light, while Ernest has a lot. This scene when Ernest confronts William is beautifully acted, and just has a great design to it. I love a final confrontation. Though normally there is insane combat in the things that I'm watching, but this was great too. I felt a lot of things in this movie. A lot of things indeed. The first thing is... Bad. I dragged a friend along and they were falling asleep. This movie is long. Too long. I enjoyed it, but more often than not, I was dragged out of it briefly. I think the acting was good. The cinematography was good. The music was amazing. The design of the setting was lovely. There were plenty of absorbing moments. I enjoyed the Osage influence. But the movie was too long. It would have been better as a series of episodes, in my opinion, so that I could enjoy them at different intervals. To be fair, true crime is not my thing. I also can still and do appreciate many aspects of this film, but I certainly will not be going again. I generally try to watch a film twice. I could not bring myself to do it for this film. As a critic, I would agree with most, saying 7 to 8 out of 10, probably a 7.5 for me. As someone who just wanted to enjoy a movie, I would put it as a 4 out of 10. But that is my final thought. Thank you to Belgrave Cinema. If you feel like enjoying a movie, why don't you pop on down? 145 Dumeric Street. See you again next week. This was Screen Time on Tune 106.9. Going to the credits.